Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm happy to welcome Deborah Brophy, Director of Integrated Care Management at County Care, one of IMHIP's members, to talk about the great work that they are doing in the behavioral health space. Deborah, welcome. Oh, thank you, Sam. I'm honored to be here to represent County Care Health Plan. And I am so excited you're here. County Care is really just always unique in that you are government-owned, provider-sponsored, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and I think that means you sort of see things, you know, like, you know, full 360 with regards to behavioral health, and there's such a need for improved access, improved quality. We know that behavioral health care and, and lack thereof at times not only impacts the person obviously experiencing behavioral health care issues, but also their their traditional physical health care needs as well. And so there's really, we can't do enough and talk enough about the work that folks are doing to make progress here because it's so integral to the Medicaid space. So can you just sort of start by giving us an overview of behavioral health care at County Care and how you guys sort of view this this need and uh, what you guys are doing? Great. So actually, I'm going to start out with County Care Health Plan. We are a health plan inside a large health system. So we have access to a lot of resources, both behavioral health and physical medicine, outpatient and many other resources. And actually, we are hitting our 10th anniversary as a health plan this coming uh, fall in October, towards the end of October. And um, we started out as a waiver program and grew into uh, a managed community care organization, exactly similar to the MCOs. The difference is that we have uh, both our care management program within our health plan services, just as the MCOs, but we're also a health system. So we have access to direct care providers. Um, As far as behavioral health goes, we have all of the attributes that would any of the other health plans would have, meaning we cover all of the fee-for-service benefits that have been in place. We have relationships with our community mental health organizations and work um, directly with our facilities that manage behavioral health members, both in emergency room and outpatient. And our and we have a dedicated teams. Being a being the structure we are, our unique feature is also that we have care managers embedded inside provider groups, which gives us direct connection between the behavioral health services that might be provided outside of that medical home into the medical home. So that makes us quite unique. And for those um, physicians groups that don't have their own internal um, care management team, we've developed our our own internal care management team that was dedicated to those large provider groups. So we have a structure that's very aligned with uh, physical health provider groups, and we have developed strong relationships with the behavioral health. As a matter of fact, we have a very uh, special relationship with Aunt Martha's, who has been doing some of our telehealth work for us for behavioral health that started with the COVID pandemic. 
I love that, Deborah. And I'm so glad you, I always, um, I just love that here in Illinois, I'm going to pause and be of your help and remind everybody of some things we take for granted. So here in Illinois, we expanded Medicaid um, for the affordable care population um, right away. And actually we expanded it with county care as a waiver Mm -hmm. before the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, The Cook County government stepped up and said, we want our neighbors, our community members to have healthcare access. And so Cook County government funded the expansion early. That's Mm -hmm. where county and everybody was um, in essentially county care. And then as um, once the Medicaid expansion went statewide, um, you know, we, we built on that. And that's how, to Depper's point, County Care became an MCCN. And it's really an innovative model. It's sort of crazy. It's been 10 years or almost mm-hmm. 10 years. It's wonderful. And I think that like beginning story, I'm so glad you started with that because it really explains why you guys as an organization are so integrated with the provider community, you come Mm -hmm. from the provider community and why that sort of behavioral health and that integration with the providers and like a a tight integration with FQHC. Mm -hmm. um, It's been from the very beginning because you started with that ACA population, the affordable care population. And those folks didn't have access to healthcare prior to the Affordable Care Act in, right. in a real way. They, they mm-hmm. relied on FQHCs and they unfortunately relied on emergency departments, but mm-hmm. it was really, um, they were uninsured by and large. And so you guys came in um, both, you know, so had a real vision and relied on community partners that were Mm -hmm. there serving those populations before a lot of FQHCs, you know, also serve uninsured, of course. And you just knew, you know, knew there were a lot of people who had behavioral health needs that were just completely unmet. Right, right, right. And we have uh, really um, strong relationships that FHQC uh, with uh, medical home network, with access community care, and then also expanding and you know, working with our DSCC team. So that is, um, have been uh, huge it, relationships that we developed early and they're really just getting stronger and larger in scope so that we kind of work with them. So that, and we can jointly do in addition to um, behavioral health, you know, lots of other initiatives can happen because of those relationships on the ground type of activities. We also have, you know, because we have this tight relationship with our providers and we've tapped into our um, relationship with MHN, we have a mo- our mobile crisis response uh, capacity is pretty real time, meaning we get real time alerts for several years now for our uh, SAS providers that have formerly, you know, other uh, situations you have to re- depend on monthly reports to come in or weekly reports, but we get a report within a day in terms of access and we've wrapped around some uh, immediate uh, responses and programs with our transition to care team and our care management team for those folks that utilize that service. And that's so important, Deborah. And I love, like you started on something that we've talked about here on Sam Says so critically, relationships. Those Mm -hmm. solid relationships allow you to do more. Mm-hmm. 
and no one organization, right? Like let's think about Ken and Gary. You guys are huge. You are one of the mm-hmm. largest healthcare systems, Cook County health and hospital system, County care, the largest health plan, Medicaid health plan within Cook County. And you still need other people, right? Like you still need other organizations. You need to partner. Correct. No one can do it alone. So partnership matters and partnership takes time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you start somewhere Correct. and you build and you build. But once you have those solid relationships, you're able to look at something like you sort of alluded to earlier, when we hit the COVID pandemic, you went to Aunt Martha's, a trusted, long-standing relationship, you know, partner and said, Mm -hmm. what can we do on telehealth? How can we serve our members? And then that has since grown. I think that's so critical. And then, you know, when you think about your infrastructure and the way you've partnered with providers that allows you to better serve Medicaid members. So for those of us, you know, those of our listeners who don't know what like Deborah's talking about when she's saying SAS providers and, and mobile crisis response, these are typically children experiencing a mental health crisis. And in Illinois, we have a statewide response system. Um, we continue to try to work and strengthen it but we have had a statewide response system. And the idea of what Deborah is talking about is because of how County Care has worked with their partners. They are getting almost real-time information that one of their members is in crisis and that they need community support. And so that community support happens right away, but why it's important that County Care knows that it happened and the sooner the better is, Yes, we stabilize that crisis, but that doesn't stop the need. Now that mm-hmm. member needs ongoing support. You know, we know something is going on. We need to wrap around additional care coordination. They, they probably need, um, you know, community-based support, you know, counseling, maybe uh, pharmaceuticals, maybe there are some other needs, right? And so the sooner you know that somebody had an experience, you know, experienced a crisis, the sooner you can avoid a future crisis, right? Right, as well as connecting them to ongoing care for children, the uh, resources are a challenge. There's typically wait periods. So you can't let a child wait for services, right? They need to get connected. So our role is to, once the crisis is um, identified and intervened on, what's the next step for this child? Are they going in the hospital or do they get community stabilized? What resources are needed and what are the connectors? Because usually there needs to be a series of connectors to get them to the stand, the care that might be more long-term for them to stabilize them to prevent a further crisis, helping implement and execute that crisis safety plan that needs to be in place and the treatment plan that gets established by the uh, providers. So all of those connectors, it needs to happen as soon as we're aware. Um, And some of these children uh, sadly cycle through multiple crises before we get that long-term plan um, stabilized and really entrenched to prevent those crises. So that's really a critical um, important connector to kind of prevent that. You know, another area that kind of care is working in that's a little unique is we work with the Behavioral Health Collaborative that exists across the state of um, Illinois. We help support that team. It's a team of, um, a self-directed team of folks that are behavioral health specialists across the state, across Cook County. And we help support them from an MCO perspective 
sometimes we can provide them with unique information in terms of trends and behaviors. We can provide intelligence around how do you approach a systems change because that's kind of what they're wishing to do. Also, a systems change, um, and you know they have their struggles. So we kind of come in with a different perspective and a more strategic thought process to provide some feedback and participation for them as they develop their teams and their and their uh, resources and service lines. I think that's so important to underscore, Deborah, because I'm what I heard as you're sort of walking through, you know, how you partner are two different things that happen in a managed care environment that happen because county care is here. And, and obviously we're talking in county care today, but these things happen. The other MCOs do very similar, you know, things. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it's happening because of care coordination and it doesn't exist in a fee-for-service world. And the first is, you know, you talked about children in crisis and that how if a child's in crisis, they can't wait right? Like a wait list for six months doesn't work. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And so my understanding is that when that happens, you have a child in crisis, you guys move and all the plans, you move heaven Mm -hmm, and earth mm -hmm. to find a provider to meet the needs of that child, to avoid that cycle, to end that cycle. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen in fee-for-service, right? Correct. Correct. And then also it's a vehicle to pull a variety of stakeholders. We have cases where we've had schools participate, uh, justice system participate, the uh, family community services participate. So there are members that it's not just a triangle of the provider, you know, the care manager and what have you, uh, families. Families are elevated to participate in care conferences with stakeholders who are making decisions about their children. And it gives them a voice to express their needs and maybe lack of understanding, you know, as stakeholders and care and um, providers, we might all think we communicated really well with the family. Here's what you're supposed to do. And now, but you get the family in the mix of all of these stakeholders discussing the risks, the barriers, the needs, and what resources are and are not in the community, and the, mem- the family hears it, it's a completely different level of engagement by that family and a completely different level of understanding of, oh, um, that's not available, so what's another alternative? And then it gets this, and I've, in participating in these sessions, I hear the stakeholders suddenly sort of shifting their perspective and it becomes a little bit more human. You know, we're not just talking about a treatment plan. We're talking about a child and a whole family system that is, um, that's impacted and that has to participate in that solution. So the more you can kind of pull more folks in, have those care conferences, multidisciplinary and across stakeholders, different providers who have interacted with the member, they provide intelligence and a different view about their child's vulnerability and trauma that they've experienced. And how can we go about um, helping that child? And some of these children are very older children get through this before they become adults and and, um, are at a completely different risk especially when it comes to the justice system. Absolutely. And what I'm really hearing in all of this is 
we're empowering the people we're serving and their families. Right. And you are going to see a better health outcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk a lot, you know, we hear a lot about adherence to treatment plans. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's a real misconception that when we talk about sort of, you know, non-adherence in the Medicaid population, I think a lot of it is there are barriers to adherence, either understanding um, in terms of, or, and truly often just access to the resources, access to what it means to, you know, to adhere. Like, uh, yes, they would like to do all of these things, but here are the barriers in this community and having that conference, having that robust discussion um, where the member and their families really in these situations, they're talking about kids can say, here's what you need to know. Here's what I need. Here are my challenges. Or by the way, sometimes, Hey provider, we tried that. It didn't work. Um, and how can, you know, or that, you know, we did that two, three months ago and, and, you know, it's just really meeting the needs of the Medicaid member and their families and making sure that they have a voice in their treatment, just Mm -hmm. like you or I would in our treatment plan in the, you know, in the commercial space. Right. And those unique barriers is really, I think, a really critical point. Um, and their barriers, uh, the social determinant barriers have become more enhanced because of COVID, right? Various uh, institutions that supported child care, uh, schools with resources and um, have been so adversely impacted and have had a cascading um, effect on kids. Um, so that is only been enhanced through all of this. It's always existed, but it's just been enhanced in this last year and a half, especially now, such a long, um, long event with a lot of um, impact in terms of uh, longevity, anxiety disorders, exacerbated um, challenges with attention deficit disorder without those resources to support kids. Those IEP plans are difficult to, uh, to execute because of the um, resources, social work resources in the facilities and schools. It's so critical to underscore too, because none of this happens in a vacuum. And the other thing mm-hmm. that I that has sort of been keeping me up at night that I didn't realize until recently, um, I was talking to um, a psychologist that specializes in childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And she told me when your body's in trauma, Oh, you don't actually start to feel the effects and see some of the effects until six to nine months after that event mm-hmm. includes. And so we are just now starting to see the, the effects of the prolonged trauma, mm-hmm. you know, community trauma on these children because of COVID shutdowns and not, you know, not having, you know, just complete, you know, not going to school in person, not, I mean, just the collective trauma, we're starting to sleep, see the impacts of it now, um, as they sort of start to return to quote unquote normal. And we're seeing that coupled with workforce shortages we've never really yes. seen before. Yeah. And so right. there's a lot of work ahead of us. Yes, there is. And, you know, the, also a part of the behavioral health program is this whole concept of keeping people out of the institution. I mean, that impacts some of the mobile crisis, but also some of the work we're doing about trying to move and sustain some of our Williams uh, decree members out of institutions. We have a whole uh, clinical case management program wrapped around those, that effort also. 
That's so important. And I think, you know, as we conclude and as we sort of, we've laid out the challenges and the mm-hmm, wonderful work mm-hmm. that County Care is doing, I think, you know, Deborah, are there items I know as you're looking at all of these challenges, I know County Care is thinking, how can we address some of these? Do you want to sort of just let our listeners know what you guys are thinking about and how you're thinking about addressing these challenges, your priorities? Um, because I know you're not going to just see a challenge and say, oh, that's going to be hard. You're going to, you're already thinking, how can we help our members? Well, we, yes, we, we're looking at it from multiple lenses. You know, we're looking at very straight on behavioral health incidents and what kind of incidents they are and doing the traditional MCO readmission um, reduction campaigns and transition to care campaigns, but also that social determinant. We've looked at all of the housing, the housing risks, because if somebody has a housing risk, they won't uh, get their medications, right? So we have to look at that. What sustains them safely in the community, whether it's a child or adult? All of those resources are, um, in addition to looking directly at here, the behavioral health trends, our relationships with our uh, wide variety of community mental health providers, individual provider, group providers. How do we continue to build and support those organizations and structures directly and indirectly? Uh, But how do we support the members in the community so they feel confident to exercise their opportunity to get the resources? So it's really has to be a um, very holistic approach with eyes on the end result is improving these health outcomes around behavioral health and reduce um, utilization of just uh, band-aid situations like ER inpatient and move towards a bigger trend at sustaining medication utilization, regular outpatient treatment at whatever level that member needs to have and sustaining that kind of activity and how do I sustain myself in the community, whatever community setting that happens to be for that person? Oh, Deborah, thank you. I'm so glad you highlighted all of that. Just really that reminder that none of this happens in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, if a member or a family doesn't have housing or they don't have access to secure food or you know whatever it may be, that's going to add stress and that's going to exacerbate. The scratch. And, mm-hmm. and so you can't address one without addressing the needs of the whole family. Right, right, right. That family perspective, system perspective is really important. Nothing happens in isolation. Deborah, I am so truly grateful you were able to join us today to walk our listeners through the wonderful work that County Care is doing. More importantly than joining us today, I'm grateful that you are sort of in these Illinois trenches, (laughs) helping build and improve a system to serve our most vulnerable. And so just thank you for joining me and thank you for your work. Oh, thank you for profiling us. And it's quite an honor to work with our population. Thank you so much. And to our wonderful listeners, thank you for joining us to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one. We encourage you to visit our website, imhip.org. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Olds Fry. The Sam and Sam says, as always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.